It's time for a new evolution in raising golfers, one that doesn't involve headaches, tears, or heading down the path of unknown. Whether you're trying to introduce children to the game of golf, help them play competitively, or play at a collegiate level, you're in the right place. This show is for any parent, player, or coach who wants to build a better team at home and on the golf course. This is the Raising Golfers Podcast. Hello everyone, I'm your host Travis Hauser. I hope you've all had a great week and been able to play some golf recently. I myself have been going out with my oldest son and we've been playing a lot of mini golf and it's been a lot of fun and he's just loving it so much. So if you haven't had a chance to play any mini golf recently, I recommend you go out and find the closest mini golf course to your house and go out and have some fun with your kids. Today we have a great interview with Gavin Grinvillewood. He's the head of junior education at the Ledbetter Golf Academy and father of two aspiring golfers. If we know and understand that failure is part of the journey, then we are infinitely more and better equipped to be able to deal with it when it comes. It's like, you know, this is going to happen, boys and girls. You are going to right royally mess this up and you're gonna feel pain, you're gonna have tears, you're gonna to wanna to quit. I mean, you're gonna feel the deepest, darkest emotions that you've ever felt before in your life. But you know what? I still love you. I'm there for you. Don't worry about it. It's part of the journey. You have to go through this if you want to be a better player the other side. His oldest son, Joshua, is actually currently playing on the Challenge Tour today. And as a matter of fact, just teed off a little over an hour ago. Gavin has been around junior golf for over 25 years and had a lot of experience coaching golf and soccer. Today he's going to share his experience and stories as a coach and as a parent raising golfers and the lessons he's learned over the years, which I think a lot of us can relate to. His growth mindset has put him in the place he is today, turned him into a great coach and parent. This is going to be a great episode for coaches and parents, as I know he is going to share a lot of useful information for us to take away. All right, Gavin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Looking forward to the chat. Yeah, me too. I'm excited about it because it's the first time I've had a coach and a parent of kids who've gone up to college and professional golf come on the show. So it'll be interesting to hear your perspective and the blend of your coaching experience and your parent experiences. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, I'm not sure how much time we have, but we could certainly go on into the early hours of the morning. (laughs) So let's start with your background in golf and when did you learn golf and what was that experience like? It's, it's funny because I didn't have a typical upbringing, um, neither of my boys actually, but um, I was at boarding school uh, in a place called the Isle of Man and um, it, was, uh, it was the summer season and uh, I was injured from playing cricket. So um, on my birthday, I took my mother to the links course right next door to my school uh, i paid my one pound membership never played before bought my half set of, of sam sneed clubs uh i bought a can't remember the name of the glove i think it was a slasinger glove and it smelled absolutely fantastic and i bought <laughs> two sleeves of slasinger b51 xd plus golf balls in yellow with Seve Ballesteros' signature on the side because he was the one that really inspired me to play. And then I went out to play. And Travis, I've never been in so much trouble in all my life on the golf course because I played from the wrong tees to the wrong greens in the middle of the members' competition. Uh, and as a junior um, novice at that time, um, it didn't look good for me. 
my survival uh, uh, percentages were, were very low at that point. So uh, it was a baptism of fire on that very first day on my 14th birthday. Well, I'm sure you learned some things on that first day uh, that at least kept you in the game, right? <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, I, I, I got down to scratch in six months and I just loved it. And, um, you know, I was playing um, on average uh, probably 10 to 12 rounds of golf a week. Wow, uh, we didn't amazing. have driving ranges. Um, and then as soon as summer hit a couple of months later, um, we were playing maybe five or six competitions a week. So it was easy enough to get your handicap down. And um, my first tournament win, I shot 69 with a 21 handicap. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I, I also got, that was another uh, another time when I thought my survival uh, was in jeopardy from the members. <laughs> but uh, it was good fun. <laughs> It was good fun. Do you think it's important for kids to learn on the golf course right away? Like just just start playing right on the golf course? Yes, I do. 100% because uh, golf is, 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 is the art of getting the ball in the hole and it actually doesn't matter how you do it. Um, so, you know, very, very frequently now, weather permitting, uh, my first lesson with a group of beginners, let's say they're eight years old, just take them out and... and we'll start playing golf. We'll invariably start from just off the green. I'll give them a club or two, or actually I'll put some clubs on the floor and I'll say, right, whoever gets it in the hole in the fewest number of shots wins and just let them go. And, you know, I'll step in where where we need to in terms of safety and stuff like that. But in terms of instruction, uh, I'm very big on, on allowing kids to experience what they're doing. You know, that experiential learning is really, really important for them trial and error, creating an environment where they're free to make mistakes without any repercussions, I think is really, really important. So yeah, first thing I would do uh, at supervised fashion, of course, just let's go play. Right. No, that's great. And you've got two young boys growing up through the game of golf. Is that how you introduce them to the game? No, <laughs> not really. <laughs> uh, and I, I certainly, I'm the first one to, to put my hand up and say, I've been through the mill in terms of my experiences of learning and and figuring out the journey. And and that's both as a parent and professionally. And I look back to the late 1990s, early 2000s, and I, I shudder when I think about my performance as a parent and my performance as a coach, because it really wasn't very good. But you have to go through these moments. It's much like the journey of your kids. You have to go through these moments of failure, these moments of learning so that you can come out the other side uh, a, a better individual or, or better at what you were doing. Um, so, you know, it's part of it. As much as we don't like some of those experiences and the things we went through, the decisions we made, it's, it's helped shape us into who we are today. Would you say you've had more head-scratching moments as a coach or as a parent? <laughs> Definitely as a parent. You know, they're, they're so intertwined. Um, the, the, the two roles for me were certainly, and I coached soccer as well, which is an interesting dynamic because that's a team sport. And that was my, my aha moment was going through my UEFA coaching license uh, in Savannah, Georgia. I was in a classroom with a bunch of other coaches and I was watching video playback of me coaching some kids and I was horrified, absolutely horrified. And it was that moment that I realized I needed to change as a coach and a parent and fortunate enough to have gone through that experience as much as I was 
kind of sliding down my chair and trying to hide under the desk. I had to watch it to understand it. And, and the feedback was very honest, but most welcome. What was one of those like kind of cringing things that you saw when you were watching what you were doing as a coach? Travis, really, the language I used, it wasn't, I wasn't cursing, but it was so aggressive, so abrasive. It wasn't conducive to uh, a, a positive learning environment. I, I didn't let the kids express themselves. I didn't let them show off their natural talents. I didn't let them fail. And of course, they failed more because they didn't have that experience. But it's, it's a little bit like that. Actually, no, it's, it's very much like that as a parent. So, I mean, I'd say that, you know, I've been challenged more as a parent. Josh has ADHD and is on the autistic spectrum. And we had major issues growing up. Ironically, the golf course was our refuge. And um, the level of controllability, if you like, with Josh on the golf course was, was much easier. Uh, away from the golf course, it was, um, it was, we were on tender hooks for many, many years. So it certainly was very challenging as a parent. But the skills that we learned, you know, through that whole experience have helped me become a better coach and more respectful of the person in front of me. I relate everything I think about and everything I do to the person that's in front of me, trying to adapt me as opposed to adapting them. And I think that's really important. And certainly we talk about that when we're educating coaches through what I do at work about being very child-centric and focused on the individual, even if, you're in, if, even if you have a group of kids in front of you, just um, understanding each and every one of those kids that you're coaching or interacting with and adapting yourself to them because it's their space, not yours. No, I, I agree. I mean, were some of those experiences what led you to what you've done recently at Ledbetter Kids and you created this program called Becoming a Champion Golf Parent? Yeah. Yeah, there are two parts to our parent education, one for coaches and one for parents. And actually, looking back at, at uh, my career and the number of times I've pushed parents away, I realized that was wrong because I've seen the light since then. Right? I've experienced it. And now I actively encourage parents to, to participate in parts of the session. Uh, I share what we're coaching. I share the reasons behind it. I have them understand the the ethos, the philosophy, and the culture we're trying to create and make sure the kids have plenty of activities to do away from the golf course. I want the kids and the parents to be responsible for their own development as well and the kids mm. to kind of lead that. Um, we often refer to it as a three-legged bar stool. To give the alcoholic analogy, of course, but it only is a bar stool if all three legs are the same length, right? If one of the legs right. is shorter or longer than the other two, then you can't sit on it. It no longer functions in that way. So, you know, one, one leg is the kid, one leg is the parent, one leg is the coach. Everybody has to be singing from the same hymn sheet if you basically want equilibrium in the journey of the child. And frequently, I'd say 99% of the time, uh, it's the parent or the coach uh, that's a little out of whack. And that, that creates disharmony in, uh, in what's going on. And that often then leads to separation from the parent and the child to that particular coach um, and probably doesn't lead to any kind of sporting success and I, and I, I use the word sporting success in, in very loosely how success is defined in so many different ways it's not about necessarily achieving um, sporting excellence at the top of the field it's about right. for me it's about playing over a long period of time and, and just having a love affair with the game or the game that you play whether it's golf or soccer or or basketball it doesn't matter could you share some of the positive traits what you would consider, quote unquote, champion golf parents to have? Yeah, trust. 
uh, trust in the children, trust in in terms of allowing them to to make mistakes, right? And and that's for me that that's the the number one positive thing that we need to uh, to push out there. It's it's not you know it's not really worrying about the moment, you know the the, the golf tournament or the the competition that the kids play tomorrow really has no bearing on the golfer that they will become in, in, in a few years' time, except that each round of golf or, you know, when you, when you really break it down to each individual shot, it's just like every single shot is one tiny little step forward, whether it's mentally or physically. So trust is, 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 the, is the trait that I like. And then, of course, we have, I think responsibility is really important. Backing up being responsible enough to back up what your coach is doing for your kids. That responsibility in, in terms of making sure the kids are partaking in the activities outside of the structure of the academy. Not necessarily being that coach away from the academy, but just kind of playing and doing what you know helps accelerate the acquisition of, of various skills and knowledge. So are these things included in the coaching programs that you have? So what I mean by that is... Do the parents come at the beginning of, let's just say, the calendar year and have to attend some type of course? Or is it something that they can do online? Is it something that you approach the parents for? Or is it something that the parents approach you for to educate them betters or involve them better is probably a better word in the raising golfers process? Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's all of those. Um, and it's a little bit less of parents actually knocking on my door saying, please help. It's reaching out to parents and, and sharing the resource with them. And, and it's all done online. But um, because we empower our coaches with the tools, the skills, and the resources to kind of facilitate, you know, helping parents, it's up to each individual coach as to how they feel they need to do this. Um, I would right. have regular group meetings with parents, but equally I'd have one-to-one chats with them as well. Um, but the... The, the really cool thing about the online platform that we've got at Ledbet University is the fact that um, we embrace this notion, notion of journaling. So you don't have to submit any assignments as such. There's a little video I ask you to complete at the end of the course. But um, throughout the various discussions in the course, I ask you to make some notes in a notebook and ultimately to create your own Bible uh, of learning so that once you finish this course, it doesn't just stop there. But, you know, I encourage you to keep adding to it once you encounter certain situations. Note down what that situation is. Note down the response from you, the response from your child or the response from the coach and use it as an opportunity to learn and develop. And I think it becomes tremendously powerful when you have that ability to reflect. Um, One of the key things we do with coaches, you know, is we get them to video entire golf lessons and have them watch it back, you know, constantly understanding where they're at. And, and it's the same with parents, you know, understanding where they're at with the journey that their kids are on, you know, and for their kids to get the most out of it. I think parents do need that help. I don't want to necessarily preach to parents either. It's not necessarily meant to be sort of done that way. It's it's more about, you know, putting an arm around parents saying, hey, you know, we've been there, done that. We know how to get the most out of your child and, and how they can benefit most from the experience of playing golf with us. And this is, these are some of the initiatives and some of the things you need to put in place. And I think once you you bring your barriers down and, and you promote this idea of, of working together, then uh, I think it becomes really powerful. 
For sure. So since you've incorporated these things into your coaching, how much has that changed the quality of the relationship with both the player, the parent and the coach? I think uh, that the number one thing I've seen is that the kids are actually assuming more responsibility for their own progress. And even at a young age, you know, I, I've seen six-year-olds accept responsibility for them for the simplest of tasks. And what I what I want, and certainly for my Led Better Kids program, uh, which is five to twelve-year-olds, we want those twelve-year-olds graduating out of our program with a really solid foundation in preparation for what is arguably something that's going to be a little bit more serious as they embark on their teenage years. We want them to be responsible, and that's the number one thing for us. So learning that responsibility from an early age, developing that as a, as a trait and as a skill um, is really, really important. I think that's what I've seen as a benefit from getting parents, bringing them in on the act and uh, engaging with them. And, you know, it's, it's, it's like we're empowering these kids to dictate the, the pathway that they're on rather than us as parents or coaches telling the kids what they should be doing. Do you know what I mean? And I think, oh, for sure. it's, um, of course, they can't see into the future in that way because they've not lived it or experienced it. We as, we as parents and coaches have done. And the decisions we make for our kids are quite often based on fear, you know, because we've been through those things. We don't want our kids to hurt. But we've got to back right. down and let kids experience the pain of failure in whatever field or uh, area of their life they're going through um, but to know for the kids to know that we are there as coaches and parents to support and, and that's all about then creating this environment where you know kids are allowed to fail without any repercussions they're not going to get told off for failing or for making mistakes I'm yet to see a child miss a three-foot putt on purpose <laughs> right you know or to miss an open goal when they're playing soccer I just don't see it so you know as parents we see that happen. It's like, well, why did you miss that three-foot putt? Oh, my goodness. What are you thinking, child? You know, that's not the response we need. What The reaction for me, for the kid that does miss that three-foot putt, is an understanding of what they did wrong and what they need to do to fix it and to lead that conversation by bringing in the parent and the coach. And that's what I'm talking about in terms of being responsible and, and when these 12-year-olds graduate from our program, being very much aligned with that whole philosophy you know it's going to help them even further in life just beyond golf because problem is when they rely on the adults meaning the adults are the coaches and the parents then the kids aren't really actually learning and developing themselves and they're not holding themselves accountable for the things that they've done and outside of golf if you start holding yourself accountable and being responsible for the actions that you've done then you actually start to learn right you make mistakes like you said and you actually develop further and you develop better all the way through life so i think that's a great way and a great outlook to have you know especially for the game of golf but also for life so i think that's really good you know, that's some great experience from your coaching side. And obviously, you've taken some of that into the parenting side of your experience. Let's talk a little bit about your two sons and their golfing experience. So you've got Ethan and Joshua. When did you introduce the game of golf to them? It was uh, when they were probably 18 months old. I do remember, however, one of the only times in Joshua's life that he was ever still was when he was three months old, four months old. And um, he was just propped up watching the TV, between, sat between my legs watching the TV. 
uh, when the US Open was on in 1998. And he was just sat there transfixed. I remember it because it was just so weird. And he was just watching it for about an hour. I'm not sure if that had anything to do with it at that ripe old age of, of three, four months. But, um, you know, he actively started swinging a golf club, you know, around about 18 months old and just loved it. You know, loved coming to work with dad. Uh, we lived either side of the Atlantic. So probably Josh has had just a little bit more time in the UK. Ethan is still 50-50 in terms of spending more time in the US versus the UK. Uh, and I used to go to work early, uh, certainly on, on a weekend. You know what it's like as a golf golf coach. And right. um, he used to come with me. Um, he'd play a bit of golf. He'd go out with the greenkeepers. And, you know, he'd just be a, a, a golf rat, basically, at that early age. And <laughs> That's he'd just cool. play and enjoy himself. And um, he loved it. He loved it. And the same with Ethan. You know, Ethan had a hole in one when he was five. And it was 100 yards Wow. Jeez. I'm still searching for my first one. <laughs> well, you know, it was so funny because it was uh, August 2006, I think. Um, and it was on the third hole at the Robert Trent Jones course in Palmetto Dunes, Hilton Head, South Carolina. And the, uh, the, the, the little black tees for the kids on the third hole was just 100 yards out. And he's just smacked uh, his yellow and blue Dunlop driver over the bunkers and it just rolled out and went in the hole. And he didn't really know what he'd done until I told him how mad his brother would be. And then he was all over it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a great story. I love that. So it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. At what point or what age did the boys start showing more self-motivation to want to get better at the game of golf? That is a great question. That's a great question. I think with Josh, it was probably when he was about 10, 11. And with Ethan, believe it or not, properly, uh, six months ago. Oh, wow. What was it about Ethan that he developed this a little bit later than Joshua? You know, I've, I've always felt with, with um, students have to be in the right place to learn. And they have to be, they have to have the right motivations to want to get better. Now, as much as Ethan progressed quite nicely over a period of time, it was really only since lockdown this year that he properly dedicated himself, specialized in golf, really, because he'd been playing a lot of other sports, which I fully advocate. Um, and I still want him to play other sports, but he really did take the time during lockdown to spend time in the gym and uh, working on his techniques. And uh, we've seen the, the benefits of that. So he will accelerate uh, and improve quite quickly over the next couple of years. That's great. When the boys were young, did you caddy for them at junior tournaments? Now, when we lived, um, we moved back from the U.S. in 2009, we had played a couple of tournaments, U.S. kids tournaments, where I did caddy. Um, but it wasn't good. It wasn't good at all from my perspective. Why is that? Just my parenting skills were horrendous. We didn't play too many of those. We, we kept it real casual. I, again, that was at about the time when I was doing my soccer license as well. So I was, I was in that, this this uh, sweet spot of learning really. And uh, I just didn't feel it was the right thing for us to be doing at that point. And when we did move back to the UK and I set up my academy over here, we used to play junior competitions every single weekend. And it's, that's when the boys started playing regular competitions. And I didn't, we didn't caddy for them. There isn't a real caddy culture over here in the UK. Right. So I've caddied more for Josh since he turned pro than, uh, than ever before. And I've cut it a few times for Ethan, of course. 
So do you actually think it's better or worse to have the kids' parents caddy for them during junior events, just whether it's your coaching experience or your parenting experience? I think it's worse. Why is that? Because the, the kids are forever wanting validation for the decisions that they're trying to make. Mm. And that's not good for, for learning. And I think, you know, obviously the, the younger kids need help moving around the golf course. And actually, I, I'm not adverse to them having caddies, and I'm yet to facilitate this, but I think that, let's just say we go to a, a kids' golf tournament. I think you put, you, you create the draw and the start sheet for the, uh, for the kids, and then you also have a start sheet for the parents, and they could be paired up caddying for a completely random child. And I think that would be really, really fun, but I also think it'd be really beneficial. Of course, it will, it will probably never, ever happen. But right. the, the dynamic there, I think, would be really good. So it's an interesting concept, and maybe someone will try it sometime. But I'm not sure I, I have the mechanism to. <laughs> it, you know, it, it is a very interesting thought. And one thing I would say that's quite similar to that is the PGA Junior League tournaments that they have now in different parts yeah. of the world. They have an adult that does the scoring that follows them along and just validates that the scores are what the scores are. But at least what we did at my club in the States was that the parent that was with the foursome wasn't a parent of any of the kids in that foursome. So it was a parent from the same team or, or from one of the teams, actually, that would keep score for those four kids. And it made it so much better, I thought. Yeah, I think we're on the same page, Travis. I think, um, And I think pace of play is a lot quicker, which is really, really important. But, you know, it's, it can become quite toxic, can't it, when you've got the parent in there who's right. desperate for their child to do well, thinking that that tournament is the be-all and end-all. Right. You know, it's, uh, it's a real challenging environment. So I think, uh, yeah, no caddies in my book, but uh, certainly an adult keeping score. And you know what? They've got fantastic technology with, with push carts now and the electric push carts or whatever the, the kids can use. It's not becoming a physical burden for the kids to get around the golf course anymore. Right. So... I'm not so sure that there's a real vital need for caddies. Fair enough. No, I, I, I can understand that for sure. I want to back up a little bit and we're going to talk about Joshua just for a second because you said he was the first one to start having or showing signs of self-motivation. Yeah. So that was at age 11. What changed from you as a parent trying to help him along the process at that point? He's now in this state where he has motivation to want to get better. What did you have to change, if anything, as a parent to now support him in that role? It was quite interesting, actually, because Josh was a part of our academy program. Um, we used to have 400 kids a week coming for lessons. Wow. And so it was busy, and he would fit into the classes like any of the other kids. But actually, even at that young age, it was my colleague, Paul, who would spend a little bit of time with him if he wanted to or needed to have a bit of private instruction. But um, for 99% of the time, all of the kids that I taught had developed in a group environment. And actually from the class, from the group, if I took a snapshot of the group in, in 2012, 2013, of about those 400 kids, we've got eight of those kids now play professionally, which I think is a really high number. That's impressive. That's very impressive. Did you have some you know, different conversations at home with him after practice or after tournaments or whatever? Yeah, it was, and, and he's a he's a unique 
character. They're both unique in their own right. And of course, I appreciate every child is unique, but understanding how Josh learns was key to it. And, you know, even now, today, it's, um, it's talking about certain points and understanding that he'll take it in. He won't give you much of a response. He might grunt if you're lucky. Um, but you know <laughs> that in, in 24 to 48 hours, he'll come back with a couple of questions or he'll be doing what you told him to or what you talked mm. about. And that's quite unique. It's really, really challenging if you don't know him. So our coaching team, you know, involves uh, his main coach, Joe, who's uh, based out in Dubai. He's awesome, really understands Josh. And Josh is not an easy character by any stretch of the imagination, but they, they get on really well. Joe and I get on really well and, and I trust everything that he's doing. And then we seek um, other specialized um, coaching from other professionals around the world, specifically, you know, if it's putting or short game, then uh, we might go see someone. We saw a putting coach a couple of weeks ago and they seem to get on really well, but Josh was the one that instigated that. And he was, he, he motivated that conversation. So it was okay. It was good. And I was there right. during the lesson. It seemed to be working quite well. So it is, it, it was, it's just a tough journey, you know, coaching. I've not really fully full-time coached Josh for quite a long time, although we talk about it and I'll give him my opinions. It's all based on working closely with the coaches and knowing what the coaches have said so that what I'm saying right. isn't any different. And actually most of the time what I see is what is being told. Uh, Josh just takes it uh, better from a different human being as most kids do. So going back to your bar stool and the three-legged stool, right? So with Joshua, currently you're you're really in the parents' role more than the coach's role, would you say? Definitely, but I'm the manager of the of the of, of the whole thing. So you know, I'm I'm coordinating playing opportunities, sponsorship, uh, the coaching, the communication, the social media, all of that kind of stuff we do together. I I coordinate it, and he is free to effectively play and practice and if we have an issue we just talk about it mm. and rarely now rarely do we or rarely have we experienced that any one of us is a little out of whack it's just right. um we're, we're pretty much on the same page going back when the you know when the kids were young obviously golf you technically fail quite often in the game of golf if you're looking at a perspective of winning and losing how did you discuss failure with the kids and maybe tell some stories that you might've had with your kids where they experienced failure and that learning experience that they had? Yeah, <laughs> it's painful looking back. It, it rips your heart out, you know, when you're a parent, there's nothing quite like it. And, and people can say stuff to you to try and make you feel better, but no words can make you feel better. You, you, you absolutely have to rise above it and you absolutely have to choose what you say very, very carefully to your kids once they've gone through this moment of failure. Let me make uh, a more recent analogy, if I can. I was caddying for Josh last year in a Challenge Tour event. Um, he's basically playing the uh, 33rd hole in Slovakia. Uh, it's his first one at that level, and he's, he's one shot inside the cut line. He hits a great tee shot down this par five, but it lands less than a foot inside the rough. And it's it's a pretty dodgy lie. And we talk about club selection and I give him the reasons why I think he should hit a nine iron. And he gives me the reasons 
why he thinks he should hit a four iron. And, you know, I back out of it saying, this is your choice. You've uh, understood the challenges of this particular shot. You understand my point. You make the decision, but whatever you do, commit to that decision and put the best swing on it you possibly can. Of course, the moment of impact, the four iron he took uh, shuts down, snap hooks it left behind the trees and has to chip out sideways and he misses the cut by one. Um, and that was a really, really, really long journey home. I can tell you that. That was, you know, <laughs> I can that, imagine. that's a 14 hour car ride home right there. And although we did take a plane, it was, it was tough and, and I couldn't console him. And I, there was nothing, nothing I could have said from that moment, apart from the fact that he played the last three holes. I said, look, mate, you played the last three holes as well as I've ever seen you play any golf. And he, he was so unlucky not to have hold a putt on one of those last three holes, the way he fought back. And so that was the positive bit I, I wanted to leave in his mind. But he learned from that. You know, there's no question he learned from that. And mm. we, our relationship did not uh, suffer in any way because of what happened, but it could have done because of how I felt. You know, I, I wanted to, you know, metaphorically grab him by the shoulders and shake him and say, what the hell were you thinking? But I knew that that wasn't the right reaction. And I actually knew that he wasn't trying to snap hook his four iron left. So, right, it's true. you know, and, and you know, I, I posted quite a few times across my social media, these instances that happen in the hope that some people learn from it. But mm. you, you have to let these guys make these mistakes. You have to. He's 21 at the time and still got a very long way to go before he reaches his potential and he has to go through that and we have to embrace the fact that he's got to go through that but one thing i will say travis actually here and it's the biggest it's the biggest thing for parents to learn from this whole process or to understand um if uh, we know and understand that failure is part of the journey then we are infinitely more and better equipped to be able to deal with it when it comes it doesn't stop mm. your heart from aching and your heart sinking but we know absolutely right we're ready for this and educate the kids about that as well it's like you know this is going to happen boys and girls you are going to right royally mess this up and you're <laughs> going to feel you're going to feel pain you're going to have tears you're going to want to quit i mean you're going to feel the deepest darkest emotions that you've ever felt before in your life but you know what i still love you i'm there for you don't worry about it. It's part of the journey. You have to go through this if you want to be a better player the other side. And I wish I'd have known that early on in the journey because I didn't. And although my reactions now are far better and much more measured, it was very, very difficult when you see your kids go through that. For sure. No, I totally agree. I mean, I don't think you could have said that any better. And I think it's just a level of acceptance, you know, as far as us as adults, accepting the fact that failure is okay. It is part of the process, right? there's going to be mistakes, you know, and if you have that mindset going into it, like you said, I think the words that probably come out of your mouth afterwards are probably a lot better for the relationship and just for the mindset of the player going forward. So I think that was great advice that you had there. So that's, uh, I mean, that was really good. Yeah. And that, that, it makes total sense to me, you know, and total sense for what I have witnessed. Right. You know, it's, um, you see it all the time and it's, and it's tough. 
Oh yeah, it 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 for sure is. I I totally agree. With the kids, they're getting better. They're they're playing some competitive golf. How much pressure did you put on them early on versus now? And I I'm, I'm sure I can kind of guess a little bit of what your answer is going to be. But how has the pressure you put on your kids in the game of golf, if anything, how has it changed over time? That's a great question. Josh didn't play golf during his fifteenth year. By the way, we took that year off pretty much. What was that for? It was really just to take a break, just to, he, he, there were some uh, studies, exams and schoolwork he needed uh, and just felt like, you know what, let's just take a break. It's not a big deal. This doesn't matter. It doesn't change the pathway that you're on. And actually he came back so much stronger. That's cool. So uh, again, that's one of those things I can't imagine parents, other parents doing, but if, if, if you're a parent listening to this and you have the strength of mind to do that, I would wholly advise it. 14, 15 years old, just take a year off. Don't worry too much about it. Let the kids play uh, other sports. Let them experience different things and they'll come back to it. And they'll come back to it stronger, more motivated and a better understanding of themselves. But in terms of pressure, I wasn't great, obviously, in the beginning. But now it's basically just understanding between us, whether it's Ethan or Josh, what is going to make us successful. And I want them to go out there with responsibility for the scores that they post. It's their choice. They, they have only the power to affect their next shot. So, you know, we are as parents powerless to, to really affect that. We can create mm. a great environment for them. But, you know, when you're in the heat of the moment, um, they have to make the decisions and they have to commit to those decisions. So um, I wouldn't say that I, I've put any any verbal pressure you know my body language would probably say different from time to time <laughs> right we all have that that plays a huge part on it yeah we right. do um but i you know I, I don't stand watching now with my arms folded shaking my head you know I, i'm frequently smiling i'm actually when i'm watching i'm taking pictures you know I, that that's a great distraction for me and i think a really good tip if you're a parent watching that's a great idea yeah, i love that get yourself a really good camera and you know <laughs> Just start taking some awesome pictures because you know what? It's, it's a great way to chart the journey as well and for you to look back with really, really fond memories. I love my time with the boys. And uh, Josh played a great senior year of, of junior golf, actually, and he was fully exempt on the AJGA. So we played five unbelievable tournaments in his final year, and we loved every minute of those. He played Jordan Spieth's tournament, Daniel Berger, Justin Rose, a couple of others. That's awesome. But um, the privilege of being able to do that was uh, was phenomenal, and we loved it. And you know, we also put some mileage um, through the air and, and, and in the car. But um, it was fantastic. Anyway, it was it was just really cool. Maybe it isn't so much, or definitely now, it sounds like you know you don't put pressure on them in the ways that maybe you might have in the past. But do you hold them accountable for the things that they say that they're going to do, or maybe some of the goals that they set? I will question them. I will question what they've worked on, how much time they're putting in, and, and whether the, the time they're putting in is the smartest use of their time. And uh, it's a conversation. It's not me telling them. It's a two-way thing. And, and it's, you know, I think they, they are now at an age where they, they respect what I've got to say. You know, they don't just think of me as dad. They know what I do for a living and uh, know the experiences that I've had. And if they don't agree with what I say, they'll say so, and we'll talk about it. Uh, I think right. it's really healthy. So, um, you know, in the, the build-up to bigger tournaments, it's, it's me and them 
creating the foundations, creating the environment for them to perform at their best and whatever that looks like. It sounds like you have had quite the growth mindset over the last, let's say, 20 years, right, of your coaching and parenting experience. How can adults take on a growth mindset? Because not everybody's willing to learn more, uh, whether it's how to parent their kids or how to coach better golf. But is there anything that you've seen or something that helped you develop a growth mindset? It was, um, it was fear of the future, ultimately. You know, we do adapt and evolve as we get older. I started working for David Ledbetter two years ago, and it's been an amazing journey. And I've learned more in those two years than at any other point in my career. And we, we address growth mindset actually in a lot of our education, understanding the principles behind it. Um, and it works, you know, it's not all in favor of having a growth mindset, I might add. You know, having a fixed mm-hmm. mindset works in certain situations too. But right. um, I think it's important to keep your mind open to, to deeper and further learning uh, and being respectful of the fact that no individual knows everything. Right, no, I agree. And there are people out there who have had more uh, varied experiences, other people that could possibly help you develop and actually have solutions for some of the things that you might not really want to share with other people. You know, a lot of it comes down to your own personality. If you're not of a collaborative nature, you know, if you're quite an, have an inhibited personality, quite guarded then you're going to be less likely to have a growth mindset and you're going to want to just keep things within your little bubble and, and hope that that's the best thing for you. you know. And, it's, and as I said, it's worked for some. I wouldn't want to take somebody massively out of their comfort zone and try and change them to the point where it's detrimental either. I mean, I think it's important to respect people's natural personalities and how some of this fits in and how some of it doesn't. Right. No, I totally agree. That's great. So you've got Ethan, he's your youngest son, and Joshua, he's your oldest son. So why, why don't you tell us a little bit about what they're doing right now? I am going through the, the, the parent mill right now because Josh is playing golf, and he is uh, playing in the European Challenge Tour event in Ireland. And he teed off at 1.35 local time. He is two over through six holes. Uh, fairly challenging conditions. The best score so far is three under. Okay. So it's early days, and I know he loves the golf course. He's navigated the hole that we had problems with last year when he played, uh, which is good. So uh, I'm expecting, I'm just expecting him to, to just bounce back a little bit, maybe pick up another birdie, and, and I'd be happy if he feels like he's done what he could out there today. You know, he's in a tie for 70, 70th place, which is probably on the cut line right now. So we'll see what happens. And then Ethan is uh, is upstairs in my house, feverishly getting ready to go to university for the first time. And he's going to study exercise science and performance at Chichester University whilst also then trying to develop his golfing skills. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's going to be exciting for him. I'm, I've been very proud of his learning journey over the past couple of years. And, and um, I think part of the reason why he's been more motivated to get better at golf is because he's actually studied about performance and learned about it to this point and um, feels like he wants to become an elite athlete. So mm. um, it's been great to watch him grow as a young man. And the fact that he's now just, just literally turned 19 age doesn't matter to me. You know, they're on a long, they're on a long journey. There's a, there's a lot of life in front of these guys and you don't have to gauge success by where your kids are at when they're 19 or 20 years old. 
you know, you've got to play the long game a little bit more and, and they never stop learning. So it's, again, it's, it's providing that platform and, and the environment for them to create these learning opportunities. Oh, I think it's a great mindset to have for sure. And so with Joshua, you know, it's, he's starting to play professional golf over the last few years. How did his training change? He, picked, he picks up on things quite quickly. He spent one semester at university at the University of South Carolina, Beaufort, just off Hilton Head Island. And that did not go well for him because he was unable to manage the, the burden of being a student first and an athlete second. And being ADHD and, and, and somewhat autistic, it was, he never had any help or support. Um, and it was really, really challenging for him and he couldn't cope with it. And he was very emotional for the last three or four weeks there. And I felt bad for him. So we, we literally pulled him out and turned pro. And if you see some of the pictures and the videos of him, you know, two or three months later, playing professional golf, you would have thought that he'd been at it for years. You know, he all of a sudden he was thrust into the world that he'd been dreaming of for 10 years. And he was basically, although a lot of the scores weren't there, he was basically walking the walk of his dreams. And he began to practice with more focus. Of course, we, we were providing the environment for that as well. And we were investigating coaching resources, places to play and practice, you know, the right tournaments to play in. And there was an up and down journey for the first part of that year, no doubt. But um, he got it together the back end of the year when we sent him away to Dubai for the fall season. And um, he had some really good finishes in a couple of tournaments out there. So that started to give him some confidence. But, you know, he, he, he likes to feel like what he's playing in has a purpose to it, like there are stepping stones in front of him. So lockdown has been really challenging because he's not had anything to play in. He had Asian right. tour status this year. And um, he had his mind set on playing out in Asia for a large portion of it. But of course, it's all been cancelled. So he had had half a dozen one and two day events, just hated them, didn't like them at all. So we decided now we're not going to play any more one or two day events. We're going to try and figure something else out. And if there's nothing else to play in, so be it. We'll wait till next year. But we've had this opportunity to play in the Challenge Tour this week. And um, it's like a mini tour school, you know. If he has a, an exceptional four-round total, then there's a very good chance he could get his tour card on the Challenge Tour in full for next year. So, you know, playing four rounds instead of 14 is a slightly easier proposition at this point. So right. there's a great opportunity. And to, to coin a quote from a great movie, it's a short quote, but it goes like this, uh, great moments are born from great opportunity. So that's what he's got in front of him this week. And that's the kind of mindset that we sent him off to um, to play this week. And he's put the work in. We get the videos back and forth. I can tell from his tone of voice. Um, so we'll see what happens. That's great. What are some of his goals in the future? He wants to be world number one. That's awesome. <laughs> it's it's as simple as that for him. We know, we know where he's strongest. I mean, he swings the club pretty fast. His ball speed's over 200 miles an hour. Wow. Uh, he's minimizing par fives. He's driving par fours. It's kind of scary the distance he's hitting it. And he's done a lot of work in the off-season in the gym as well. And he's, he's, he's going to hate me for saying it, but he's brightened himself up 
<laughs> he no seriously, you, it's it's unbelievable to see. Um, That's great. And you see the transformation in his body; it's it's scary. But yeah, he he hates being compared to other people because he wants to be the individual. But um, right. you know, we looked at Cameron Champ's numbers. We're looking at the stuff that Brooks Koepka that throws out, and obviously now Bryson. We love what Rory does. Um, so we we do take note of, of snippets of what others do, um, but ultimately he has to uh, he has to plough and forage his own way forward, um, and that's why there is no pressure on it because we know that this is an up and down journey, and he will learn as he goes along. How proud are you now? You know, looking back on the whole journey that both your kids have gone in through golf, how proud are you of both your boys at this point? I'm really proud. I'm, I'm just proud of the young men that they're growing up to be. You know, they, they do make mistakes. I'm not going to talk about the, the issues with the jet ski last year, but um, <laughs> that's another story once we've had a glass of wine, possibly. But um, <laughs> they only learn and develop into the people that we want them to be by making mistakes uh, still. And, and, and that's a life thing as well. The, the life thing means more to me than, than the golf achievements. And I want them to treat people with respect. I want them to understand people. And be sympathetic, and um, you know that. As I said, that means more to me as, as human beings than as elite level athletes. Right. No, I totally agree. What would be some final words of inspiration for adults raising golfers? Hopefully, everybody's been listening for the last hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because we could go on for another hour, certainly. But it's letting your kids be kids. You know, don't live your life through your kids. You know, don't live their don't live your failed sporting success through the potential sporting success of your children. And and I can get the ball around the golf course, right? But I'm not going to be as good as, as either of my two. And I've been guilty of gauging how well they're doing and pointing them in certain directions because that's where I feel like I get satisfaction. I've been guilty of that. And there will be parents that listen to this that I hope will resonate with that. But just don't fall into that trap, you know, let the kids steer the conversation. Let them motivate their own development. Help and guide them along the way. Take advice from the coaches and let the kids be the kids. You know, I did do, um, I think it was back in February time. I, I, I posted some, a picture on Instagram, actually, which t- detailed the number of sports that Josh was playing between ages of 8 and 11. And there's over 15 different sports or activities oh, wow. taking part in. It was crazy. You know, we went skiing a couple of times and I included that as well, but that was an activity. But um, it was the usual things of, you know, American football, soccer, golf, surfing, climbing, swimming, running, javelin, playing cricket, ice skating, flag football, free play. I mean, there was so much going on and, you know, just loved it. They just love playing all sorts of, of games and activities. And that's what's turned them both into great athletes. That's so important for people to know because, you know, as you've seen in your professional career is, you know, people try to specialize too early and try to focus too much on one sport and think that that's the, the path to becoming an elite player in whatever sport it is. But obviously, if they're not playing other sports, then they're missing out on so many other developmental skills that actually can spring forward whatever sport it is they decide to pursue later on in their lives you will get these freaks of nature uh, and they do exist that that um that the wider public will look at and use as a model 
and you know freaks of nature let me just let me just pull out a couple right you know we've got Sevi Ballesteros, Jordan Spieth, Sergio Garcia, Tiger Woods, these freaks of nature that were so good so young that they, they, they are not the model they are definitely mm -hmm. not the model I would like you know believe it or not you know a guy like Tom Lehman Mark Kalkovecchia, for the simple reason that longevity was part of their whole makeup. You know, they, they won their major championships quite late in their career. And they, they were learning their trade all the way through their 20s. I see too many right. kids and parents, you know, focused on, on the holy grail effectively at the age of 20. And it's just not the right thing to do. You know, and they should be playing multiple sports for as long as they possibly can. And even if they do specialize in one sport or they prioritize, it doesn't stop them playing other sports. With Josh, we still play cricket. We still play tennis. Uh, we still play basketball and soccer. We go to the gym. We do swimming. Obviously, there's golf involved. You know, it's, 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 it's pretty varied when uh, we're away from the tournament. So I think it's really important for parents to know that. And it's, uh, it's not about specializing. I totally agree. I couldn't agree more. Well, Gavin, it was really good talking with you today. And I really enjoyed the conversation, just learning so much about your coaching experience and your parenting experience. And I think so many people listening to this episode are going to take a lot away. And I just wish you and your family and Joshua this week, particularly with his event, I wish him the best of luck. And I look forward to following what all of you guys are doing in the future. So I just want to give you a big thank you for coming here today and sharing all of your stories and experience with us. Yeah, it was a pleasure, Travis. I really enjoyed it. And just if, if anybody wants to reach out, wants to, 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 to take the conversation a little bit further, then uh, you could probably just do that through um, Facebook uh, or Instagram. And I'd uh, be happy just to help people out and, um, you know, give them a few more pointers or, you know, just be there for them to have a chat with. Oh, that's so kind of you. I'm sure you'll get some new ads here uh, after this episode's released. <laughs> Brilliant. Cool. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it again, Gavin. No problem. Thanks, Travis. Take care. Oh man, that was awesome. I love the stories he shared today and the amount of truth and reflection he had on both his coaching and his parenting. I know it's something that's not easy as I've done it myself, but I know that it really did help spring forward his coaching and his ability to help raise both of his sons to the golfers they are today. Having a growth mindset is not easy. However, in situations like coaching and parenting, I think it's invaluable to have. If you have those head scratching moments as a coach or parent, take some time to reflect on what it is you're doing and what it is you need to change, learn, or adapt in the way you are raising your golfers. I've given thousands of golf lessons and still to this day, I reflect on the things I've said, the body language I've used, and the message I was trying to get across to my students. In my experience, it has only made me a better coach and person, and I know that taking this same mindset to my parenting will only help as well. If you're interested in learning more about the parenting course at the Ledbetter Academy, then be sure to check out the show notes for the links to those resources. If you enjoy listening to our podcast and the information you got from this episode, do us a favor and continue to support us by hitting that subscribe button and giving us a five-star review. Your continued support will help us continue to grow and be able to interview some of the most experienced parents, coaches, and players in the golf industry to help you continue to raise your golfer to their full potential.